when I was growing up, I lived in, on, and around over three oceans, the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Indian Ocean. And I realized that all rivers and streams and all ecosystems eventually led to the ocean. Even if I wasn't by the ocean, I was still connected to the ocean. And through breath, the ocean produces 50 to 80% of all oxygen on the planet. We were connected to the ocean regardless of where we were. Down to you. Down to us. It's down to all of us, together. The generations alive today will determine the climate and humanity's future. This is Down to You Podcast. The Down to You Podcast team acknowledges that our work spans many unceded territories and treaty areas. We recognize and honor that we are facilitating stories on lands stewarded by Indigenous nations since time immemorial. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge sharers, storytellers, and elders that are with us today, those who have come before us, and the youth that inspire us. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Down to You podcast. I'm Hollis. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Alex. Today, we're talking about oceans, and we have two youth that we're going to be in conversation with. Odie Patil and Kyle Conrad. And both of them highlight that when we're thinking about oceans, we want to think about water in general. Because it's all connected. Absolutely. We're all made up of water. We all need water. One might say it's even the lifeblood of this planet. Absolutely. From oceans to watersheds, healthy water, it affects everything, all of us. I like how both of our youth are inspired to do something about ocean protection because they just love the ocean so much. And you can tell from their story that they both love spending time in the ocean with animals, swimming, just being in it, and just like a real visceral connection to that sort of landscape. Our guest today, an unbelievable individual who has done more in his short time on Earth than I think I could ever hope to do, but... Yeah. Well, I'm trying to. Um, we have Bodhi. Yeah, Bodhi Patil, who is an ocean climate solutionist. I love that title, by the way. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge, he's like you said. <laughs> yeah. About. So well-spoken. Mm-hmm. Seems he has like a, a swath of experience already at this age, and he seems to just be so sure of himself, so clearly stated, well thought out, as well as... um taking real action and kind of accomplished. Yeah, I feel like he's traveled a lot and maybe that's part of, that adds to his knowledge and his passion about the planet because he's seen so much of it and he's seen so much diversity, has that firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. The wholeness of what he's sharing is really important and so valuable. So let's get into Bodhi. Awesome. So my name is Bodhi Patil and I'm an ocean climate solutionist. And from the age of four, I've been in love with the ocean. I lived in Jakarta, Indonesia. And when I was two, I saw a really big tsunami and hurricane hit the coast. So at that time, I didn't know exactly what was happening. And I sure didn't know about climate change when I was two. Um, but I did see the destruction that it caused. Later, I went to Bali, where I got to dive on my first coral reef and fell in love with the ocean in a very deep way. I saw a black tip reef shark encircling a turtle and a school of fish. And I just realized that the circle of life was 
really abundant and real in the ocean. And as I walked out of the water that day, I kind of like put my hand up and I was like, I'm going to save the ocean and this is what I'm going to do. And I want to protect the ocean and dedicate my life to that. I love that. Like, wow, way to know what you wanted to do from such a young age and way to follow through with that. I can close my eyes and I can feel that feeling of what it's like to be underwater. Whenever I'm underwater, whether it's in the Pacific Northwest on Hornby Island, whether it's diving here and seeing the killer whales and seeing the humpback whales up the Salish Sea, or whether that's exploring the Red Sea and the corals or in the Pacific and French Polynesia diving with sharks and rays, I feel the sense of peace and tranquility. I can also close my eyes and think about all these awesome moments I've had underwater where I've learned some of my biggest lessons from how literally fish are moving and sharks are moving underwater and how you can understand and follow their behavior to what kind of things happen underwater and the amounts of sounds that there are underwater. I always thought being underwater was like a place where was still and quiet. And to me, it's opposite. It's one of the most thriving and bustling and extremely engaging ecosystems. In Morea and French Polynesia, a place in the South Pacific that I had one of my coolest experiences is a place where these beautiful um, boring clams that bore into the rock and the coral have these bright colors and they click and clack and the parrotfish on the reef that are creating the sand, pooping out sand, are literally chirping and biting away at the coral. You can hear the whales singing in the distance and you can see all the reef fish, so many species you can't even identify. And one of my favorite experiences was being with about 10 black tip reef sharks, about four to six feet long each and pretty girthy and being with about eight pink whip rays, stingrays, and having them quite literally engulf me fully. And it was awesome because you can see in their eyes that they really are observant and aware. They provide incredible ecosystem services. They keep their reef fish in check. They keep the ecosystem healthy. And being reminded that these incredible species were simply a part of the ecosystem, the same ecosystem that I can be a part of, was so empowering. I like sharks now too, but when I was younger, I was a bit more swayed into thinking that they were bad or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe there is some sort of evolutionary reason why we have kind of natural fears of these things that could kill us. Like he says, like sharks are predators, but they like do that. They have a job to do in their ecosystem to like keep other um, species in check. And so growing up as I moved, I started to feel like, disconnected from the natural world. And in sixth grade, I got really anxious and depressed because I had to move so much by the nature of my dad's work. And I realized that I needed to find some tools to heal myself, to transform that climate anxiety into climate action. And so in sixth grade, I created a business with my mom and I called it Inner Light. And the first workshop we did, which was sponsored by a $200 grant that I got from Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots program. Jane Goodall has always been a hero of mine, was about climate, mental health, and resilience tools and ways that young people could feel healthy amidst a very chaotic and scary world. And so we did these workshops and the first one is a success. We did another workshop and we did a third one. And in that process, a lot of those youth who are also feeling the same sorts of anxiety about the climate crisis realized that they were actually powerful and they were powerful creators and they had the ability to heal themselves. And so as I've grown up now, I've realized that these same tools for inner resiliency 
can be applied for climate resiliency. And that's shaped who I am, my existence, and how I work at the intersection of the ocean and climate crisis and what solutions I'm able to bring to the table as Gen Z. I think I'm only able to identify it now. At that time, I had no idea that it was climate related. I was just catching on to climate change and plastic pollution, some of the stressors that were taught because in schools, again, sometimes we're not taught about what's happening in our world. I knew I was stressed though because of the different things that I was experiencing by seeing so many cultures, so many people that were displaced because of climate change, which I now understand. I realized that Like those lessons and the reason why I got stressed from moving so much was actually one of the things that set me up for success. And it gave me a lot of the roots and the opportunity to reset my roots so that I could be more resilient in a world that's so scary and so confusing for so many youth amidst this triple crisis, whether it's labeled as climate anxiety or eco-anxiety or it's just mental health and depression. We just need tools for young people to be more resilient and resilience is going to be a key solution to building a stronger movement of climate activists and and Gen Z that needs to lead the change. I think this is a common thing too among younger people to experience this sort of like weight of the world anxiety because of the problems that they're facing, which is just so sad to me. I know, and I in sixth grade, I wasn't thinking of anything really except for know, right? playing soccer and having fun. Yeah, I wonder where that comes from. Maybe there's more exposure to world news and to just information sharing than there maybe used to be 30 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, I think I have three awesome tools that have helped me since the start of my ocean and climate journey. The first is simple, it's deep breathing breathing in for four seconds, out for four seconds, and repeating that four times. And in 32 seconds, you can change your brain chemistry and change how you feel because it roots us and grounds us to our connection with nature because every breath we take comes from the ocean and from forests on land. The second tool that I share is positive affirmations. Young people are constantly fueled by things that are negative. This constant understanding that we're under threat, under natural disaster, we have to solve this problem, we have to get out of this mess. And I think being able to assure yourself that all is well, I'm okay, I'm a powerful creator, is a really good way to get yourself from feeling very anxious to feeling okay or neutral again, so that you can get to feeling good. And in order to get to feeling good, especially in a changing world, one of the biggest things, the third tool I use is intention setting. And so sometimes I write in my journal how I want to feel um, or how I want to be in the world, whether I want to lead with respect and integrity or whether I want to focus on reciprocity. It's kind of helping to literally manifest your value system so that you can be a better steward, so that you can be a better guardian of nature. And we need to align our values, love, joy, hope, care and compassion, kinship, and most importantly, honesty. Those are really important values that are missing in the space. And we need to align our personal deep-rooted values with the values needed to protect the planet. I loved how right off the bat, Bodhi was talking about ways to deal with this anxiety. And before even getting into the big systemic problems, he just talked about how he calms himself. And how taking care of his own mental health was kind of a a stepping stone, a a starting point for him Mm. to be able to start these bigger initiatives. Yeah. You have to make sure your own cup is full before you can pour into other cups. 
And then again, this idea of um, using the anxiety or turning that anxiety into productive action to help the problem and also like quell that anxiety a bit by taking steps. Yeah, I mean, I certainly can relate to that. Um, I, I like getting out of my head and into my body, and mm-hmm. especially when I feel overwhelmed with the enormity of the problem. So after I traveled the world and, oh, I'm still traveling the world. I'm just 21. After I <laughs> uh, moved around from different places, I felt disconnected. And so I was still missing this connection to nature and to my community. And because I was missing this, I really wanted to be intentional. So after um, I graduated middle school, I decided to bike around my watershed. And during the year, I would bike around my watershed in DC. And during the summer, I would bike around my watershed here in Vancouver, of course, with the Fraser River being a key component of that. And I realized that I could bike around and get great exercise, see a lot of the watershed, pick up plastic, pick up debris, and do these educational videos about the importance of youth-led stewardship around watersheds and coastal protection. And so I made a video series at the end of my high school when COVID started. I decided, hey, I'm not going to let this shut down my life. I want to make sure that I'm still able to protect the environment. And so I pitched it to a company called Parlay for the Oceans. I basically shared what I was doing with Biking for the Oceans and, and how young people need reasons to have hope and get involved in ocean action. And so this company was like, hey, yeah, we want to build up our youth program. And that youth program at the time was called Ocean Uprise. And it's something that I co-created with the founder three years ago. And now this program has evolved into a global movement of over 5,000 youth in 30 countries working on stewardship projects from marine debris removal to river cleanups to mountain and estuary stream monitoring to mangrove plantations to seagrass restoration to coral planting to education. On the theme of shoreline cleanup, we also, we did a project together with Shoreline Trash. Mm-hmm. We built that six-foot octopus sculpture. (laughs) (laughs) Octo, he's so cute. Yeah, Octo. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he worked out. We didn't collect the trash for that, though. We connected to Ocean Legacy Foundation. Um, Can you remember why we used sea trash for that project? Um, Well, we had made a connection with James, one of the um, founders of Ocean Legacy, and just kind of learned a little bit about, about this foundation that was doing some really amazing work in marine debris cleanup. And we just found that really interesting. So we like to make art out of recycled materials and kind of trash, I guess. Yeah. And so we just arranged like a tour of their facility and it was unbelievable, this enormous warehouse kind of in in Delta, BC Mm -hmm. that was full of buoys and like a million kinds of rope yeah lots of rope but then a lot of it was really colorful and interesting Mm -hmm. textures and things so we just got inspired to turn a bunch of that into this sculpture which lives today and gets brought out to different events through the ocean and reconnecting with nature i found my community the people that understand that we are nature and we're not something separate from nature we are physically chemically, biologically, and emotionally part of nature, and nature is a part of us. Um, And a lot of that community is here in the Pacific Northwest, um, in Vancouver, on Musqueam land, because it's a lot of people who love the outdoors. And so that's tying it back to 
the Fraser watershed, which is a really incredible ecosystem and something over the last three years of university um, that I've dedicated to protecting because I know that our southern resident killer whales and our humpback whales that are critically dependent on for ecosystem health and of course our various species of salmon need to be better taken care of, stewarded and understood by young people so that they can protect them. The ocean is being impacted by climate change with increased carbon dioxide emissions and other greenhouse gas emissions. The oceans are actually increasing in temperature and in that process, increasing the acidity of the ocean and also increasing the size of water molecules and the melting of glaciers, which is increasing the level of sea. And that's affecting indigenous peoples, local peoples. It's affecting island nations first and worst because we're seeing all these islands slowly going underwater and the list goes on and on, including deep seabed mining and ocean pollution and microplastics and chemical pollution and sound noise and etc. So the ocean is feeling all these threats and these the ocean is changing. However, the ocean is also incredibly resilient. We know that the ocean covers over 70% of our planet um, and about two thirds of our planet is the high seas. Um, and we also see that there are been really incredible agreements recently that have been dedicated to protecting the ocean at scale. And the biggest reason why we need to protect the ocean is because the ocean sustains all of life on the planet. It's simple, with no ocean, there would be no life. No blue, no green. As Dr. Sylvia Earle said, um, water is life and without the ocean, we would have no life. So in order to protect the ocean, there have been some great announcements recently that I actually had a part in advocating for at New York Climate Week during the UN General Assembly. And one of the biggest ones is the High Seas Treaty, signed by over 81 UN member states to protect areas beyond national jurisdiction. These are areas of the ocean that are often lawless. And this treaty will now create more strict sanctions to protect and make sure these areas aren't being exploited by overfishing, by potential threats from deep sea mining and by other extractive industry, including offshore drilling that could result in a lot of ocean threats and a lot of ocean pollution. Because that, that's an interesting part about the ocean is this idea that basically all land falls under the jurisdiction of countries and of national law. But there's this huge portion of the ocean, which is just the high seas, which is basically just unregulated no man's land at least for conservation and stuff, there's laws when it falls under national jurisdiction. Yeah. But it's nice to hear that there are some... some Like actions taking place? Actions taking place, and the yeah. UN is implementing some regulations to avoid, like dumping and overfishing and unregulated mining um, in these parts where people can sometimes just get away with doing anything because there's no one out there to stop them. Yeah, pirates. Pirates, Yeah. Greenpeace called it the biggest conservation victory ever. Wow. Wow. The ocean is also the largest carbon sink on the planet. And without the ocean, we would not have a livable planet because it would simply be way too hot. The ocean regulates our climate by pumping out cooler water from the poles to the equator and shifting that warm water from the Gulf Stream and the equator to the poles and keeping our general temperature and circulation through oceanic currents steady so we have a livable planet. It's also been exciting to see that there's been more emphasis on protecting the ocean. Canada is looking to strengthen its protection of marine protected areas and also the management and enforcement of those protected areas. 
And the biggest thing, we need to recognize local communities and indigenous people's role in ocean stewardship. There are over 15 coastal First Nations up and down the coast that have been traditional ancestral stewards of ocean environments, including these blue carbon environments that we refer to as blue natural capital. So if we look to the leadership of co-management and of indigenous peoples in stewarding blue carbon ecosystems, restoring them and regenerating them, we know that we can have a healthy ocean. And in order to have a healthy ocean, we need every single young person on this planet understanding that the ocean is a sustainer of all of life. Canada is also looking to other effective conservation measures to protect the coast and to share usage of marine resources in a more equitable way. So Canada wants to strengthen its support for marine protected areas. However, it's still not enough. And I mean, we need at least 50% of the ocean protected by 2030, if not more. And we need strict enforcement of the management and monitoring of these ecosystems and co-benefit sharing of marine resources, including from fisheries, um, from other seafoods, from kelp, which can be used for all different products and materials, innovations, foods and feeds. And we need to further increase ambition because we are protecting some of the ocean, but we need to protect the entire ocean because it protects us. Earlier this year, we spoke to climate scientist Simon Donner, and he helped us to clarify some terminology. For oceans, we asked him specifically to define blue carbon for us. And here is what he had to say. So all sorts of uh, different natural environments have been proposed as carbon sinks. It's increasingly talked about what we call like sort of blue carbon solutions, the idea of doing the ocean. So we can regrow mangrove forests in the tropics. Or here in the BC coast, maybe we can regrow kelp forests or expand these under underwater forests of kelp. Because again, they're just underwater plants. They rely on CO2 as well. They get it out of the water, but that CO2 that's in the water came from the atmosphere. What you want in the ocean to make a really good carbon sink, an effective one, it's got to be something that the carbon comes out of the atmosphere or out of the ocean, goes into the vegetation, but when that vegetation dies, it sinks to the bottom because then it's going to be there for a very long time. If you'd like to hear more from Simon, check out our Net Zero intro episode called What is Down to You All About? Seaweed is a blue carbon ecosystem and there are so many different types of species of seaweed all around the world. And the cool thing that we have in the Pacific Northwest is these sprawling vast kelp forests. And it's super important because this kelp can be used as a food for people. Another thing it can be used for is for material revolutions and material innovation. And now we're seeing companies like Notpla and like Sway that are actually creating alternatives to single use plastic. So we never have to use plastic again. Seaweed can also be used as a feed for cattle and other sorts of industry to reduce their methane emissions because methane emissions are about 26 times stronger in absorbing and reflecting heat and light energy radiated off of Earth's surface than CO2. It can be used to fertilize your garden. It's also really important for the First Nations communities that Um, The rockweed, the seaweed is where the herrings lay the egg during the herring runs, which involve the orcas and so the bald eagles and also the seals and sea lions um, that are so important in our ecosystem. So seaweed is awesome. Um, Check out this fact before you move on from blue carbon Mm -hmm. ecosystems. So blue carbon coastal ecosystems account for less than 0.5% of the global ocean surface area. Mm. 
but account for over 70% of the carbon sequestering. Oh, wow. That's such a tiny portion of the ocean that's doing such a huge role. So for the last three years, I've been focused on this idea of intergenerational collaboration. The biggest thing that young people in the climate movement get from adults is, oh my gosh, you are the reason we have hope. And we do not need to be crutches for hope. We need adults to have hope and have support for us. What we need is these three very specific things. Number one is to mentor and provide mentorship through intergenerational collaboration. And that means 360 degree mentorship. And that can play out like young people working within a company's executive board or within their climate advisory board. Um, number two, investing into youth-led climate solutions. Because in order to have impactful ocean climate solutions, led by people of color, led by BIPOC people, led by young people, we need investment. And in regards to the ocean, there's $150 billion of funding gap based on a report in 2020. So there need to be more amounts of funding for youth-led solutions. And the third thing is, it's really simple. It's creating intergenerational task forces and ways for people, both young and old, to work together to solve problems. So often in school and in places, we're being constantly told, hey, this is the problem, this is the problem. However, we're not given the space to develop and implement the solutions that are necessary. There's been a groundswell of change and people are starting to invest more in youth and we need more because that 1% fund of all environmental funding that climate justice projects led by youth are getting is just not enough. And obviously we need more funding in order to support more world-changing projects and leaders. Our generation's very like preoccupied with the state of our planet. Like it's very real. It's in our everyday lives, and things are gonna change with like climate change and everything that's happening. So you have to act to at least like control all these changes in our planet. Yeah. That was Kayo, another youth that we're chatting with about his love for oceans and his desire to protect it. Yeah, Kayo comes from Brazil, which must have some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. Although I've never been. From how he describes it, it seems like some of those coastlines you just can't get enough of. My name is Caio. I'm 17 years old. I'm originally from Brazil. That's where I fell in love with like all the biodiversity, like all these beautiful places we have in Brazil. So when I came to Canada, I wanted to like be a part of environmental work here as well, because in the end, it's one planet, right? So. <laughs> when I was younger, it was very hard to get me out of the water. <laughs> yeah, my brother and I, we were always in the like in the water. And my mom's like, come on, you need to reapply sunscreen. Come on, we're going to eat. And then I, I would just like skip lunch to like be in the ocean. And I don't know, I just really like it. The sound, like the waves hitting the beach. My grandma taking walks across the beach, uh, going to like to the rock side and seeing the barnacles and the little crabs. Yeah, just the seashells. It has like so much biodiversity and it just connects us all, right? So that's pretty cool. 70% of the oxygen we breathe is made in the oceans. So it's like a gigantic carbon sink. I think we know more about the moon than the oceans. That's where I felt frustrated when I found like garbage on the floor. Why are people throwing this on the, on the sand? I just don't understand why anyone would like, you know, just throw their garbage on the floor. Yeah, if I see someone doing that, I, I usually call them out. I don't understand why people do that, so I, get, I just get mad, yeah. The garbage can is usually like, like a walking distance from them, so why not just like do the responsible thing? Kayo again mentions this idea of the ocean connecting us all, mm -hmm. which kind of came up in our chat with Bodhi. It really is kind of the, 
lifeblood of the world and the thing that connects us all, the thing that we all share. I was listening to the folks from Blue Ecology talk, and what they're interested in is this idea of interweaving Indigenous knowledge and Western science. And one of the founders, Michael Blackstock, he had a research question that he said he looked at for 20 years. And it was simple, but maybe deceivingly so. What is water? And so the more Western way of understanding water is that it's a chemical compound and the name water typically refers to the liquid state. And then he looked at the indigenous understanding, which is that water is the essential lifeblood of our planet with the power to generate, sustain, receive, and ultimately unify life. Western science sees water as non-living, as a thing, and indigenous understanding witnesses water through relationship and sees it for, for really what it is, which is a lifeblood. I mean, we all need it. We need clean, fresh water. It's not separate from us, right? I volunteer so with Ocean Mize, like through the Youth GC program. I really enjoy volunteering, like shoreline cleanups. I actually enjoy doing them. It's not just like, oh, because we need to save the planet. I really like when people stop to talk to us, like, oh, thank you so much for doing this. We start with like empty garbage bags, and then in the end, like so heavy, and you can see how much impact you're having, right? And you can notice that the people are watching, people are becoming aware. Then they start like looking around them and be like, there's so much garbage around me. Sometimes we count like what types of garbage we're collecting, like so many cigarette butts, so many cans, whatever. So it's cool to see how much we got of each thing. Also, we weighed how much garbage we collected. So I just, it's pretty cool to have some numbers to show like, oh, I collected this much garbage and you just feel awesome. <laughs> the UN estimates that by 2050 at our current rate, there will be more plastic in the ocean by weight than fish. Oh, 2050. Yeah. Mm, wow. Which is pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, crazy. it's already impacting the marine life as it is. Mm-hmm microplastics getting into the fish and getting into the whales and then we're eating them and they're getting into us mm -hmm. it's scary yeah and plastic is just such a big part of our lives as well like it's so hard to get away it's from. so hard to like i don't know sometimes i think the magic solution is just like slow your roll as much as possible like yeah less but also like like bodhi mentioned um we need to encourage the innovation that is happening that will help us replace plastics. Mm. It sounds like kelp is one of those promising options. Hmm. But yeah, it's a challenge because plastic products are so intertwined with our lives. It's really hard to get away from them. So if we can't cut them out, I think we should at least attempt to and definitely support those of us that are working towards replacing them. Sometimes we like the two activities, so it's a shoreline cleanup and then something else on the same day. So we had, for example, a Halloween shoreline cleanup. So we had like costumes on <laughs> and then we were picking up garbage. But basically you just show up on the day. We usually do like a big circle, sometimes like some icebreaker activity so people get to know each other. But you just walk as long as long as you want. Then we usually have like a break in between. It's pretty fun. Yeah, because you can go as slow as fast as you want. I would like to think that I'm pretty friendly, but I struggled a lot with like communication. Like I was very shy. So youth to see helped me a lot develop my communication skills, the confidence to talk to people and like, yeah, just be comfortable with public speaking. 
you don't need to take a leadership role to be like to have an impact. If you're participating, you're doing just as much work, right? As long as you're involved. If you really don't like talking in front of people, you don't have to. You can still be just as impactful. I think it's such an important perspective to share. I was a very shy young person and sometimes shyness can get in the way of acting on our passions, can stop us from putting ourselves out there or getting involved. So I'm really glad to hear that Youth to See was a supportive program and helped develop those skills and those communication skills. So yeah, it's just important to share that perspective to folks listening to the podcast that we see you and there are other folks that are not necessarily outgoing or extroverted and they're still able to find their way and find their place and there is a place for them and there is a place for you. I like doing volunteering. That's how I like. I just feel like I'm doing my part. I'm going to university in the fall. I'm going to study biology. So maybe that's why it was easy for me to make it a priority just because it really is my passion and what I want to do in the future. I think it's more about finding the time with like our regular tasks, all the schoolwork, all the outside of schoolwork. And then you're like just, oh, I don't have time for this. So getting people to put that as a priority or like put that in their schedules, I think that's the hardest part, just getting people to see that they can incorporate into their busy lives. You can share like fundraisers, educational like articles from organizations doing the work, attending like free events about conservation, or just talk to the people around you, like get the word out and get more people talking about not only the problems, but the work being done to like solve around you uh, and I think in your daily life changing your habits like whenever possible obviously there's always a cost to that but like for example reducing the amount of meat you eat that's fairly simple I mean like it's manageable like using a reusable water bottle I feel like nowadays most people already do that in the summer air drying your clothes just like every single day every single activity you do rethink and maybe try to bring a little more sustainability to it And I think it's also good to like go online and look for good news, you know, like read about the things like podcasts like this. You're hearing, hearing about all these amazing things being done out there. Three awesome ways, if you're a young person listening right now, that you can get involved in protecting the ocean. Um, the first is joining the organization I co-created, Ocean Uprise, and applying for our internship, which is a six-week program that will basically pay you to learn about the ocean and implement a community stewardship project of your choice. The second thing is joining communities, ocean communities locally. And if you're in Vancouver, some of the things that you can do are joining UBC Sustainability, coming on UBC Surf Club trips, joining UBC Oceans Hub, and joining the Canada Ocean Coalition that will connect you to the ocean resources and needs to get involved and start your projects, or simply learn more about the importance of ocean and climate action. The, the third thing is joining global communities. And the reason why I'm coming back to communities and climate action is because community is the strongest force for climate action And the power of community lies in diversity. So we need a lot more Canadian youth. We need a lot more youth in the Fraser Basin to get involved in climate actions and specifically ocean protection. The biggest suggestion that I have is to find what really makes your heart beat faster, what you get excited about, and then join those communities, the communities that really compel you to wake up and say, hey, this is going to be a fun thing to do today. If you're a young person listening to this podcast, Just know that you are a powerful creator and that regardless of what's happening in the world or how you feel, 
you can really change and be a, a being of impact and help to make waves of change. And it really goes to show that one person and one thing can change the world. And when you have one thing and one person adding up with a million other things and other people in these movements and communities, that's where really the worlds and ecosystems start to improve and things to get better. And there are really reasons we should have hope. So have hope and uh, believe in yourself because that's what's we, that's what we need in order to solve this crisis. Just to take care of the planet. I'm very passionate, so I want people to be passionate about the planet too. It's about not only caring about the environment, but your family, yourself, like everyone around you. Like you don't need to love the animals or you don't need to do like directly for the ocean, but if you just take care of the environment around you, like the watersheds are so connected, right? Like all the water will run into the ocean eventually. So by taking care of your local like ecosystem, you're impacting the oceans in a way. So yeah, just take care of the things around you. <laughs> yeah, like do as much as you can because that's well, the best you can do <laughs> and that will have some impact and it's about everyone like helping out and that's how it gets more and more impact. I think in order to facilitate hope and to nurture hope, we need to share the good stuff. Before I started on this podcast, I didn't hear about youth like this. So we're featuring youth that have this deep love for something so vast as the ocean um, and so specific as the ocean. I'm grateful and I feel privileged to have the opportunity to hear from them. It definitely nurtures the hope within me for the future. People will continue to, to fight for that. So, yay, yay. 70% of our planet is ocean and that's wild to me to think about how valuable and important it is and what a big role it plays in climate change. I grew up swimming, very comfortable, happy in the water. I like to be weightless, the weightless feeling of the water. And I'm wondering, how do you feel about oceans? I feel like oceans are this mysterious place that is right in our backyard, but we barely know anything about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, um, I don't know if it's Bodhi that mentions this, I can't remember. But um, we know more about the moon than we do about oceans or something like that. I've heard that before. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's one of the most mysterious places on Earth. I've read something that over 80% of the ocean has never even been seen by humans, like never been mapped or explored or even seen by humans. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. We're doing more destruction to it than we even know of it, it yeah. seems like. Mm -hmm. I feel like the thing about oceans is it's like really out of sight, out of mind for us. Mm -hmm. So it's like easier for us to, I, like, I don't want to say excuse the damage we do to it, but it's like, yeah, not in our faces. Do you have a favorite ocean or a favorite beach, a favorite shoreline in the world? Ooh, that's a good question. I think maybe one of my favorite beaches is in Costa Rica, mm. a place called the Whale Tail, mm. which is like a outward... Um, piece of sandbar that looks like a whale tail. No. Or like a spit. Yeah. Like a spit, yeah. I, like I a, don't know. Yeah. I think it's a spit, but... It's in the shape of that and then backs onto jungle and oh, it's wow. just really beautiful. I mean, Gyro Beach in Kelowna, I got to give some props to that for mm. being what, where we grew up. Gyro Beach. Gyro? Yeah. Cool. Um, ooh, do you have one in mind? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Agate Beach. It's up in Haida Oh, cool. Yeah. It was really beautiful up there. Haida was quite beautiful. 
you've done some a little bit of coastline cleanup mm-hmm. in different places, Haida Gwaii and some things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I've done a bit of shoreline cleanup. Just casually with friends. For the last four or five years, I have shared studio and done creative work with another creative. And we would travel in the summer to different places for music festivals so that we could vend our art. And we were up in Haida Gwaii for the Edge of the World Festival. And we decided that we would take a couple more days up there after the festival was done to travel around and visit the island. And we stayed up in on Agate Beach in Nikoon Park. One day we did a big walk along the spit and collected garbage and just looked at what there was to see. There was lots of interesting things to see. And it's really fun. I find it fun to go to remote locations like that and trash collect because you can get some really interesting things. And it tells a story, not of that place, but of places, of the connectivity. It's almost a direct example of what Kayo speaks about, the ocean connecting us. I've also done a bit of shoreline cleanup in Tofino. Some of the trash that ends up on those shores comes from Japan. It's really staggering to see so much garbage on the coastline. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's like out of sight, out of mind, it seems like um, less impactful, a little more invisible Mm -hmm. and not quite in your face. Yeah. I just want to bring this up. It's a bit random, but I listened to this uh, talk the other day that was given out of UBC. This professor who's the scientific director for Mental Health and Climate Change Alliance, he's really interested in looking at climate change and the effects on our health, which, as we've talked about climate anxiety, it's like a new thing that's kind of come out in the last five, ten years. And he highlighted that resilient social network and community that's actually like really important and really valuable in order to like fight climate change. And I feel like we keep seeing that with the youth. I love that. And I know both of us kind of have this feeling of community being a really important aspect of everything. I think part of that too is just um, kind of like these garbage cleanups that can just be a fun hangout. If you can kind of like do something as a community where there's some element of getting together and maybe having some jokes and some hanging out while doing a good thing, it just makes it that much more attractive and and enjoyable yeah and becomes kind of more of a a circle of love for lack of a better word which yeah. also helps things yeah yeah being real being mm-hmm. real it's mm-hmm. good yeah cool good. well that's all we got to say on oceans and waterways today 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 mm-hmm. yeah i mean we might talk about them later they'll come up they'll come up in other episodes um, specifically i'm thinking about when we talk about technology, um, our technology episode is featuring some pretty cool fishery management. Yeah. yeah, so we talk about oceans again. But that's all for today, folks. And I hope you enjoyed hearing and learning from Bodhi and Kayo as much as we did. We'll catch you next time on the Down to You podcast. We'll be talking with a few different youth who are working in the field of renewable energy. Power. <laughs> Power to the people. Power to the people. Renewable power. Renewable power, yeah. (laughs) See ya. See ya. (laughs) On this journey through BC, we've met some incredible youth with some amazing stories about things they're doing. It's been really inspiring seeing this generation take initiative on ecological and environmental issues. 
The Down to You podcast wouldn't be possible without our wonderful production team and funders. From the Fraser Basin Council Youth Program, we have Sonia Dodig, Hollis Nelson, Nicole Gonzalez-Filos, and Lindsay Sackett. Also a big thanks to our collaborators, Vedluna Studio, Pendimental Sound Production, ZG Stories, and Maya Lazar-Mulabdic for her beautiful illustrations. This project was undertaken with the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Federal Department of Environment and Climate Change. Thank you everyone for listening.